This episode of Hello PhD is sponsored by Promega and listeners like you. Thanks for your support. You don't go around punching players on your own team. One of the objectives of peer review is to improve scholarship. Not just your own scholarship, but to improve scholarship in your field. Welcome to Hello PhD, the podcast for scientists people who love them. This week, we learned about why you should keep your personality out of your peer reviews. Stay with us. And I'm back. This is episode 151. This is not Joshua Hall. I'm Daniel Arneman, and I will discuss the human side of science and life in the lab. Uh, You may notice a slight difference in the intro this week. It is because Josh happens to be on a small family vacation, and so I am holding down the fort in the studio alone. But because of that, I get the joy of basically talking about whatever I want in the intro. I don't have a beer today, but I do have a note on last week's beer. We got a an email from a listener who actually was able to identify uh, the source of that beer that we were drinking. You recall that it had a picture of some white sneakers on it, and it was called Dank Daniel with a bunch of A's in it. Well, uh, Brianna wrote to us and said, Hey, Josh and Daniel, I just wanted to write after enjoying your last episode with Dr. Khan. You mentioned that this week's ethanol had a picture of white sneakers on it, which no doubt comes from this meme where someone famously says, Damn, Daniel, back at it again with the white man. As soon as you first said the beer name, I suspected that's what I was referring to, and I cracked up upon hearing you describe the can design. So let me just say thank you so much, Brianna, for bringing that to my attention. I have watched the clip more times than I care to say, and it makes me laugh every time, so I do appreciate that. Now, before we get to today's interview, I want to thank our sponsors. Sometimes when you're in grad school, it might seem impossible to take any time for yourself, You're burning the candle at both ends, you have too many irons in the fire, you're juggling too many metaphors at the same time, but the Promega Student Resource Center currently launched a new section focused on helping you balance the demands of research with your overall wellness. A healthy mind and body are crucial for accomplishing your scientific goals, as well as living a full, enriched life. Visit promega.com slash hellophd to learn more. The podcast is also sponsored by Biobox Analytics. Biobox is a data analytics platform designed for scientists and clinicians working with next-generation sequencing data. With Biobox, you can design and run bioinformatic pipelines on demand, generate publication-ready plots, and discover insights using popular public databases. Spots are limited, so sign up for the waitlist and be the first to access a free account at biobox.io. So without further ado... Here is my interview with Drs. Rebecca Baglini and Christine Parsons. Both are at the University of Aarhus in Denmark, and they wrote an article titled, If You Can't Be Kind in Peer Review, Be Neutral. Here's the interview. Um, My name is Rebecca Baglini, and I'm an assistant professor of linguistics at the Interacting Mind Center at Aarhus University. I'm Christine Parsons. I'm an associate professor um, in clinical medicine at Aarhus University. Um, My background is in psychology. I'm interested in emotion, social interactions, communication as well. And Rebecca and I both sit in an interdisciplinary centre. And it's kind of an unusual place because everybody there is interested in some way in social interactions. 
but it's a very fun environment because, you know, I get to sit quite close to a computational linguist and then there are anthropologists sitting further down and some physicists and all kinds of different disciplinary backgrounds coming together and sitting in the same kind of office space. Well, that is very helpful and a great segue mm-hmm. because the two of you authored an article back in November uh, in Nature. It was Nature Career Column, and it was titled, If You Can't Be Kind in Peer Review, Be Neutral. And this this hit our Twitter feed because I think you struck a nerve with some uh, with some scientists, with some researchers who have been through the peer review process and maybe have been burned. Um, but before we before we get too far into that, would you take a just a minute to give us an overview of what happens to a paper or a grant after it's submitted? I think a lot of listeners may have been through the process, but some haven't, and they haven't seen both sides of it. Maybe they've submitted, but they've never written a review. So could you just walk us through the steps? Yes, I will walk us through the steps of peer review. So typically, if you're a PhD student and you've finished your first paper and you're very excited to submit it to a journal, the first stage of that process is dealing with an often unwieldy submission portal. And uh, within that submission portal for your chosen journal, um, you'll sometimes get an option to pick some peer reviewers that you might send the article to. And often an editor will pick some peer reviewers to send the article to as well. So you have this uh, submission system and you are gearing up for your article to be sent out to lots of people to read it and to to have an assessment of the the quality of the work and whether you've met methodological standards for the uh, quality of the work. Um, And typically this peer review process, so this assessment of your article by your peers, is done um, either in a single blind format or in a double blind format. So um, you typically don't know who the reviewers actually are. And often, or in many journals and lots of different disciplines now, you can also select um, so that your identity is unknown. And that would be double blind peer review. So we have different ways that journals approach this, but um, the traditional peer review format is often single blind, and there have been many recent suggestions for how we might change and alter that. But that's kind of roughly the typical thing that you might expect when you submit your paper for the first time. So what you point out in the article is that some of those reviews can actually be hostile, or they can be sarcastic, or they can be... There can be barbs and jabs and personal statements. And I think everybody is familiar with the notion of reviewer three or reviewer two. This this idea that there is one reviewer who just torches your research plan or torches your paper and you have to respond to all of these comments. Why why are those hostile reviews of sarcastic comments? Why does that matter? And why why did you two get together to write about this? The use of hostile and sarcastic language in peer reviews is a real problem. And in the course of preparing to write this article with Christine, we read a 2019 study that found that actually half of STEM scientists have received at least one unprofessional review that included personal attacks or other types of hostile or biased language. And importantly, it also found that these reviews have a disproportionately negative impact on scholars from underrepresented groups, like women and non-binary scientists and scientists of color. So I think it's a really important thing to take seriously, that peer reviews matter and they have a real impact. They have a very important impact in our field, but they can also have a personal impact. And I think it's especially, it can be especially wounding to get negative peer reviews as a 
um, as a younger scientist as well. So we certainly think it's up to probably the journals to flag reviews that are actively hostile or personal. If they cross a line, I think they should probably be, be flagged for further editing. But in our article, we're really focused more on subtle language devices, things that don't cross this kind of line of being unprofessional, but that in the aggregate, they can create an impression where negativity overwhelms constructive advice. And, and it's really subtle. That's, that was what was so fascinating to me. I, I just want to hit on this point that you brought up about uh, underrepresented groups and maybe early career researchers. You know, I think as if, if I'm in a privileged group and I'm a scientist and I get a bad review, I probably have the background and the confidence to say, I don't care about that. That's their, their bad opinion. I'm moving on with my life. But if my attachment to, to the research world is more tenuous, maybe because I am an outside group or an underrepresented group, then maybe that wound really hurts me. And, and it pushes me over that edge where I say, well, maybe this isn't for me and I shouldn't be doing it. Uh, is, that, is that kind of the, what the research found? I think that's exactly right. I, I don't think the research actually looked into um, sort of quantifiable career impacts because it was a survey study. But uh, it was reported, um, the survey respondents who reported the greatest relative harm to their scientific productivity and advancement were, were people who self-identified as women, non-binary, or people of color. So I think we can probably infer from that that, that there, there could be greater negative career impacts from, from getting hostile or unprofessional reviews. Uh, I also think that for, for early career researchers, um, you often sort of learn how to be a peer reviewer by getting peer reviews. So and true. so I worry. Yeah. So I, I um, one of the reasons why it was important for me to write this piece with Christine was because, um, you know, this is a very norm driven practice. Uh, this is volunteer labor. Uh, reviewers often aren't given a lot of guidelines about language to use. And so most of us are just sort of replicating you know, norms and, and habits that we've seen in our own received reviews. And so uh, I think we, we need to have a conversation about what's appropriate, what are our norms and values for this kind of scientific discourse, um, and take it a bit more seriously. That's a great point. If, if I learn that peer review is a blood sport, I may carry that yeah. to my next, uh, you know, may, maybe I am reviewing a paper today and my paper is being reviewed and it puts me into a mode where I think it's okay, as you're saying, to to say something negative. Let's let's jump into some specific examples because this is this is what I loved about the article. It is so subtle and but so recognizable when you hear it. And so uh, you've got this this fact based sentence that is very neutral, and it says the project proposal didn't fulfill the requirements stated in the call. Pure fact. It did or didn't. Uh, but but if, would you mind reading uh, one or two of the other constructions of that sentence that carry a different weight? Sure. Yeah, we came up with some variations that just introduce subtle layers of meaning that indicate the negative stance of the reviewer in a way that the original sentence did not. But they don't really add anything more to the factual content. So here are some examples. This proposal didn't even fulfill the requirements of the call. One word. This proposal, yeah, one word. This proposal didn't bother to fulfill the requirements. This proposal failed to fulfill the requirements. 
So words like this, even, bother to, fail to, they introduce what linguists call presuppositions. Um, and that means that they don't add anything substantive to the main assertion. Uh, they're not really doing anything constructive in the review itself. They're just reframing the statement of fact in a more critical manner. For example, by proposing, presupposing that laziness or failure is a causal factor here, instead of just leaving the neutral statement to stand on its own. So you talk about in your article that, quote, reviewers should try to resist the natural temptation to include expressive words that convey emotion, however subtly. Uh, and so what are some of the other types of words that we should avoid? Yeah, we suggest that reviewers try not to overuse words that are purely subjective and that just serve to center the emotions or the attitude of the reviewer. So these include what linguists call speaker-oriented adverbs like disappointingly or surprisingly or obviously, uh, because those aren't really neutral in, in stance. It, it's saying something about how the reviewer feels, but this may not be a kind of a universal or objective view. This also goes for subjective adjectives like careless, uninteresting, simple, or poor. So what these do is, um, these are again words that are not simple matters of fact, because two people can fundamentally disagree on what counts as interesting or brilliant or boring. And of course, I wanna acknowledge that a review is also a matter of expert opinion. So it's pretty much impossible to completely avoid subjectivity. And I don't think that it has to be fully excluded from peer reviews. But our worry is that subjective language, whether it's positive or negative, uh, we're worried that it can unfairly bias the ultimate decisions of editors, potentially, because subjective words invite the reader to take on the perspective of the writer. And we wanna make sure that if a submission is rejected, it should really be on the grounds of its problems, not just how well the reviewer conveys their subjective attitude about it. That's so fascinating that, that if I have a bad day and, and write an angry review, I can actually bring the editor into my state of mind with some of these, these word choices. It, it feels like it's in conversationally, it is sort of an invitation to, to view. I mean, I view this as, hey, this is interesting. Uh, this, take a look at this interesting paper. I'm inviting you to view that the way that I, think, that, that, that I view it. And it's subtle. You know, I, I'm not saying that, that I think all editors would be unduly biased by a very subjectively written peer review, but it's just, it's something to watch out for. You've got some examples here like universalizing, as anyone knows, as everyone remembers, speculating, I bet the outlier observations were admitted. You know, I have no idea how they did their, their research. It was probably pristine, but I'm going to speculate that they did something wrong because that's the only way they could have gotten this result. Does the anonymity of the reviewer contribute to how much latitude you think they're willing to take with their hostile or biased language. I mean, this this strikes me as the YouTube comments for scientists, right? Is there is there something there because I'm I don't nobody knows who I am that I'm going to go further with my language? I think also the one thing here is that these devices are often used unintentionally. It's not that someone is trying to wound the reader. We get into habits of using disappointingly or interesting or impressive. We use these words with no intended consequences. And there was one study looking at open peer reports. So 
um, when the report was actually published afterwards. And, you know, sometimes we have analyses now where you know, reviewers' names are, are published too. But in the open peer reports compared to the traditional peer reports, there was still a lot of emotionality in this particular analysis. So I guess, you know, what Rebecca has beautifully pointed to is that these single words they're small and they're subtle. So we may be using them without any intention of hurting the reader or of centering our own experiences. Um, but because they've become so common and almost like a norm, if you've experienced those previously and then you repeat it, it's, it's quite something that we just want to point to just so people are aware, just so people can kind of be conscious of be how more they mindful are expressing of these things exactly exactly do you need that word would you include that word in a manuscript if you were describing your research findings would you say disappointingly we found that you might not you might just try and remove that word and say we didn't find that um, so we're trying to point to things that you know are the norm when we write manuscripts and perhaps should be the norm when we write reviews just removing words that are superfluous that we don't need yeah it feels like until we get some practice at recognizing that we are writing these types of sentences, there's going to need to be a process where you finish writing your review and then you go back through it or you have somebody else go back through it and say, where where can you tell my emotion in these sentences? Uh, is that what you're recommending for people to get started on this as they write reviews? Yeah, we, we've actually been, I think it's okay to say this, Christine, we've been yeah. working on a longer uh, piece sort of an elaboration of the nature piece for a different venue. And for that piece, we actually thought about giving some more concrete advice to the readers. And so um, you touched on a couple of the things that we actually did suggest. So one thing is that um, you mentioned that people need to get practice with this kind of more mindful style of writing, but I think people do have practice writing this way. Um, we suggest that writers take or review writers take the same level of professionalism and formality in writing their reviews as they use in their own scientific submissions. So you don't tend to see a lot of these more subjective speaker oriented words in scientific manuscripts. People know how to write that genre. It's very formal. It's very sort of detached and neutral. So we suggest that people pretend that they're writing a manuscript, uh, not, not, not a review. Um, and we also suggest that people be as explicit and concrete as possible in, in their assertions. So if they spot a word or an expression that wouldn't belong in a research article, just consider, think twice about whether it belongs in a review. I'm interested in the feedback that you've gotten since you published the article. I, I think back to researcher that I worked for when I was an undergraduate who believed that science was a blood sport and you either get knocked down or you knock somebody down. Uh, and, and I can imagine him saying, toughen up. Science is hard. Have you gotten that feedback after publishing the article or have you gotten positive comments? What have people said about it? I've had almost entirely positive comments. And I think you're hitting on something with this science as a blood sport idea that I would really push back against because I think science is better characterized as a team sport and you don't go around punching players on your own team you know one of the objectives of peer review is to improve scholarship not just your own scholarship but to improve scholarship in your field and there are ways of giving feedback that are constructive and that center people's attention on the work 
And that's what's important, is the level, the quality of your work. And, you know, there are ways that allow people to improve their work, um, probably more efficiently if you don't have to spend time trying to separate out what was mean reviewer opinion, unnecessary, from actually what's a constructive comment. And this is also what we were very much trying to communicate in this nature piece, is that efficient communication, clear communication, doesn't need this expressive or this emotional layer. So we don't need to add those words in order to clearly communicate. I think the example that you pointed to initially, the proposal didn't fulfill the requirements. That is as straightforward. It is so clear what the reviewer thinks about the proposal. This is not a proposal that should be funded. Or for example, this article is not ready for submission in this particular format. There are ways to really make it obvious what you believe, but you don't need to add these extra words, extra expressive um, emotional language on top of that. I, I think that's wonderful. And I, I just love the notion of refocusing review on making research better. And, and I think because we choose our reviewers, or maybe the editor does, and they're in the same field, and they may be doing similar work, and maybe they were just about to publish, so they they are angry to see somebody's already done it. But uh, if we can take off that emotional hat and and remember why it is we participate in this <laughs> this endeavor, this science, uh, the research, and focus back on how do we make that better. Um, and and it's and I think what you're also talking about is improving inclusion, getting more types of people thinking about the problems that we need to solve in the world. Uh, and, and we do that by not pushing them out through our language. Yeah, exactly. And I would also add that uh, we think we tried to make it clear that you know, we're not promoting censorship here. We're not saying that these words need to be excluded altogether or that journals should take steps to you know, ban people who write uh, very... Uh, subjective negative reviews. We're not saying anything like that. We're just asking for people to be mindful. And we're also not really asking for people to necessarily be nice or never write negative reviews. I mean, the vast majority of, of the time uh, a submission gets rejected on, um, on unnecessary grounds. We're just asking that reviewers follow the principles of good scientific scholarship and communication to be neutral, objective, fair, and unbiased. And we're just giving them some some guidance to be mindful about how language can can undermine or promote those values. Well, how can people get in touch with you? How can they follow your work? Uh, are you on Twitter? What's the best way to to keep up with what you're doing? We're both on Twitter. I think Christine uses it more than me, but <laughs> <laughs> I am indeed on Twitter. Um, you can follow me at ce underscore Parsons. Um, we are both featured on the Interacting Minds uh, website at Aarhus University. Um, you can follow our work and the work of the center there. Um, it's been really nice and interesting to talk to you about this. Yeah, it's been wonderful. Thank you so much for taking the time. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Dr. Parsons and Baglini. I have been thinking about this interview quite a bit this week and just reflecting on how, exactly as they said, the norms of scientific research are dictating aspects of how we conduct research. And in this case, the norm of peer review is that 
you can kind of write whatever you feel like. And you don't consider the fact that you may not be as objective as you would be in your own technical writing. Uh, and you may be having an impact in other people's uh, research track, in their career path, in the way they feel about their science. And I think what's so great about just being mindful of how you're writing these peer reviews and, and how you're consuming them as somebody who is being reviewed, it's a chance to refocus ourselves, to go back to the, the basic principles of scientific research and say, what is going to make this research better? Is it my snarky comments? Is it my emotional uh, kind of coded language that tells somebody I'm frustrated with them? Or is it saying what it is they need to do to make the work better? And I think the answer to that is really clear. And I appreciate uh, Drs. Baglini and Parsons for writing this article and bringing it to our attention. So if you have questions or topic ideas, I would love to hear them. I think Josh would too, eventually, when he gets back. Uh, you can email us, podcast at hellophd.com. You can send us a tweet at hellophd. If you like the show, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We love the feedback. and It helps new listeners to find the show. And if you'd like to support us, you can become a patron. Simply go to our website, hellophd.com, and click the Become a Patron button, or visit patreon.com slash hellophd. We'd appreciate the beer money, and thanks to the ongoing support from our patrons. Well, hopefully Josh will be back with me next time. It is a little quiet, a little lonely in the studio today. I guess I can't fault him for wanting to take a tiny little break after a long pandemic. Uh, for all of you, stay safe, and we will catch you next time. Damn, Daniel. Damn, Daniel. Damn, Daniel. Damn, Daniel. Damn, Daniel. Back at it again with the white vans. Dusty, man. Damn, Daniel.